You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. There is a cartoon that showed an old country preacher with his hands folded and he's praying. He says, just, just Lord, I, I, you know, I don't ask for much, but if you could grant me just one thing, dignity, dignity, Lord, just, just a little dignity. The next frame of the cartoon is this huge zap of lightning. The guy's pants are down to his ankles and is revealing underwear with hearts all over it. And he says, this is a test, ain't it, Lord? Doesn't it seem like life is full of tests and trials? Most of the trials, it seems, we endure are because of our own choices, uh, things that are as a consequence of particular actions on our part. Many trials come from beyond ourselves, from others who bring them upon us. Or we may say with the Apostle Paul, a thorn in our side. And then there are those tests that come from God. Did you know that some of your testing, some of your trials come from God testing us? We see it in Scripture. We're going to see it today in the life of Abraham. We're going to look at Abraham and the test that he went through and for ourselves to then be encouraged to live a life of a believer. There are four areas of testing for Abraham. All of these stories are found in the book of Genesis, but there's one passage of just a few verses that summarizes this whole story of Abraham, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to go there and begin at verse Eight, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The first test of his life is what we would say was a major change. God asked Abraham to pick up everything he had and move to another place. Now, If I were Abraham, I think the dialogue might go a little like this. God, where am I going? I'll tell you later. How long is it going to take me to get there? I'll let you know. Well, how am I going to know when I'm there? I'll let you know. I don't know that I would like following God that way. And it must have been difficult for Abraham. First of all, he's 75 years old and God says, you're ready for the biggest adventure of your life. Not only that, not only did he have to move, but he was wealthy. So he had a lot of stuff, and they didn't have two men in a truck in those days. He had camels and cattle and sheep and servants, and God said, you're going to leave your hometown, you're going to not know where you're going, but follow me. That story is found in Genesis 12, by the way, and Abraham picked up everything and immediately, without excuse, without complaint, He took off. So here in Abraham, we see a believer who will follow God's leading without knowing where. Some of you might be asking the where question right now. Lord, where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to retire? Where do you want me to go to school? And how will you know? 
You'll know through prayer, meditating on God's word, and trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you. The Bible is very clear that it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You will know because God is at work in you. He will guide you. The second test of life is found in Hebrews 11.9. By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. This is the test of a delayed promise. The delayed promise. Now, it's interesting that the word promise occurred twice in that one verse. And promise is a very important word in the vocabulary of faith. God said, I'm going to give you the promised land. So God promised Abraham the promised land, but there was a delay. In fact, Abraham not only had to wait his life, he had to wait Isaac's life and Jacob's life, three generations living in tents. There's not much more temporary way to live. They couldn't settle down. Imagine living in a tent for three generations. And I can hear Sarah now going, Abraham, are we ever going to get a real home? You know, I can handle tests in life much better if I know that there's going to be an end to it. But the hardest kind of test to handle are the tests when you don't know if they're going to end. That's difficult, the delayed promise. But Abraham never gave up. He never returned to his hometown. Here's the lesson. In Abraham, we see a believer who will wait for God's timing without knowing when. Some of you may be asking the when question right now. When are things going to get better, Lord? When am I going to get married? When am I going to have a child? When am I going to get well? When are you going to solve my problems? When are you going to answer my prayers? Now, verses 11 and 12 show us the third test of faith. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, okay, she was old. I'm not looking at anyone to compare it with in particular. She, although past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, we're talking to Abraham, he as good as dead, he was really old, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. This is the test of the impossible problem. Here's Abraham, 99 years old, and he still doesn't have a kid, at least not one through whom the promise is going to be fulfilled. And God said he's going to be the father of a great nation. In fact, God has already changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. That's kind of embarrassing, wouldn't you think? Hey, what's your name? Father of many nations. How many kids you got? How old are you? 99? (laughs) Right. An impossible problem, a physically impossible 
problem. Sarah was 90 years old. And in the book of Genesis, it tells us that when God said, you're going to have a child, Sarah laughed. Abraham looked at himself and said, no way. Sarah looked at her body and said, double, no way. Sarah laughed, but God had the last laugh. They had a kid. They named it Isaac. You know what that means? Laughter. An impossible problem is when you wonder how. How are you going to do it, Lord? Abraham's 99. It's almost comical. A major problem, an impossible situation. Fred Craddock is a former professor of preaching at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. And he tells the story of one day being in New York City, and for dinner, he just pops into a little cafe where he's going to sit down and eat a hot dog. Only two other people are seen in the entire place. Anna, a waitress, she's 75 years old, and the only other person in the sitting area, in the seating area, is a man who looked to be about 80, and they're engaged in a conversation. And the man says to Anna, the waitress, I'll walk you home, Anna. A lady your age needs somebody to walk you home. She said, if you walk me home, the next thing you know, I'll be great with child. Fred said about that moment, he dropped his hot dog. The man continues. He says, you're 75 years old. You passed that long time ago. She said, you remember Sarah in the Bible? She was older. And she became great with child. How did that happen, the man asked. She believed in the man upstairs. And not only that, the mother of our Lord, before she even knew a man, was great with child. The man said, well, how did that happen? She believed in the man upstairs. To which the man replied, I think if I were a woman, I'd stop believing in the man upstairs. <laughs> An impossible problem. It's the howl, the howls of life. Some of you are worried and discouraged and down and you're saying, I don't know how God is going to do it. You don't know how God is going to help you through. God, how am I going to make ends meet this month? How am I going to put my kids through college? God, how are you going to heal me? God, how am I going to find time to be involved in a ministry, I'm already too busy. It's a test of life, just like for Abraham. And you're thinking, how in the world is God going to change my husband? How in the world is God, is God going to get through to my child? It's a test. And in Abraham, we see a believer who will expect a move of God without knowing how God intends to do it. And now there's one more test in Abraham's life that we have to speak on. It's the ultimate test, the greatest test. It's not about the when question or the where question or the how question. It's the why question of faith. Why is this happening, God? It's the ultimate test. Abraham lived it. You will too. And this is the test that causes us to ask why. The fact is, there's a whole lot going on in the world that doesn't make sense, and it causes people to say all the time, I don't think it's fair. And that's true. 
And this is a test of what we might call a senseless tragedy. You see, there's an event in Abraham's life that causes more questions than almost any other event in the Bible, and that's when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. Hear the summary of it from Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Isaac, the miracle boy, the miracle baby, the promised child, the one in whom all of Abraham's hopes and dreams are going to be fulfilled. God says, that's the one I want you to sacrifice. Isaac represented everything that Abraham held dear. Our response to that, it's not fair. We're all in shock. It's an awful thing. Why would God even require something like that? Abraham was having a test, and it was the test of his commitment. It didn't make sense. It was ridiculous. It was tragic. There was no precedent for this in his relationship with God. It doesn't make sense. And Abraham had no assurance that God would save Isaac or spare him. He didn't have any assurance along those lines, but look at what he did have. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. What was Abraham's confidence? If God can give me a son at 99 years of age, when my wife and I are already physically incapable of bearing a child, if God can do that kind of miracle, he can raise Isaac from the dead if he so chooses. That was Abraham's confidence. But here's the point of Abraham's life and and why he's such a great believer. Abraham decided that God had a right to make any demand on his life that he so chooses. And you know, it's true for you and me. Because God is God, he has a right to make any demands on your life as he pleases. You wouldn't even be alive without God. You wouldn't have anything without God. Well, as we know from the story of Genesis, God doesn't allow Abraham to go through with sacrificing Isaac. Here's the point. In Abraham, we see a believer who will trust God's purpose without knowing why, even in the contradictions of life. Some of you right now may be going through the why question in your life. Why, God, did I lose my job? Why did you let my spouse walk out on me? Why am I going bankrupt? Why did my parents die? There's nothing wrong with asking questions I think Abraham must have. There's nothing wrong with asking when, God, or how, or where, or why. But the issue is how you respond when you don't get an answer. When God is silent as to the wise, that's the real test of a believer. If I were to ask you, do you believe in God? And if you said yes you would be right in step with 87% of the U.S. population who say, yes, I believe in God. 
But what if I then asked, well, what does it mean to be a believer? Some would say, well, to be a believer means I believe in God. The problem with that is that the Bible says even Satan believes in God. Instead, a believer is someone who will follow God's direction when he doesn't know where. A believer will wait on God's timing when she doesn't know when. A believer will expect a move of God when he doesn't know how. And a believer will trust God's purpose and love and character when she doesn't know why. And here's the thing. God never gave Abraham any explanation for these tests. You know why so many of us are spiritually immature? Is because we want an explanation for everything. We think God owes it to us. We want an explanation. But if I've got all the whys and the hows and the wheres and the whens figured out, then I'm not living by faith. It's that simple. If you've got it all in a nice, neat little box and you've got it all figured out, then you don't need God. And you're not living by faith. You know the difference between school tests and God's tests? The thing about tests in school, the key to acing them is that you know all the answers. But in God's tests, the way you ace God's test is you keep on believing when you don't know the answers. And you don't know where you're going. And you don't know how God's going to accomplish it. And you don't know why it's happening. You keep on trusting. You keep on believing. So which of these tests are you dealing with right now? Some of you may be dealing with the major change. And you're asking the question, where? God, where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to retire? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to go to school? Where, Lord? Where can I serve in the church? Some of you may be facing the second test of life, and you're dealing with a delayed promise, and you're saying, when, God? When are you going to meet my need? When are you going to get me out of debt? When are you going to heal me? When are you going to save my family member that I've been praying for for a long time? When are you going to help me with my problem? When are you going to help me turn things around? Or maybe you're dealing with an impossible problem. And from your viewpoint, you think, there's no way. Just like Abraham looked and said, there's no way that I can father a child at 99. How are you going to do it, Lord? How are you going to help me? How are you going to change me? How are you going to get me out of this mess? And some of you are grieving because you're faced a tragedy. In the deepest part of your heart, you're asking why. Why is this happening? I don't understand it. Why did my spouse get sick? Why did they leave me? Why did I lose my job? Why did I raise my kids the best I knew how and they still turned out such a mess? So let me ask you, where would you rate yourself as a believer this morning? Some of you would look at that and go, oh man, I flunk. <laughs> I don't think I'd pass any of these tests. But here's what I want you to know. God knows you're not perfect. 
God knows you're not perfect. So what do you do? You start now by putting your trust and faith in him. Put your faith in God. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith, remember? Just a little bit of faith in a big God gives you big results. So you put your faith in him, and then you pray. And let's do that now. Lord, help us. Help us put our faith in you. Help us follow your leading, even though we don't know where it's going to lead. Help us wait for your timing, even though we don't know when the answer is going to come. Help us expect you to work, even though we have no way of figuring out how it's going to happen. And help us trust your purpose, even when we don't know why. When things seem senseless, senseless, when it all seems like chaos and it's unfair, then help each one of us to say, Lord, even if you don't answer, I'm still going to trust you. We know in the scriptures, Lord, that one day people walked away from Jesus. He turned to his disciples and asked, are you going to leave also? And Peter said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So even when we don't understand it, we can say, Lord, I want to believe. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Abraham. I'm glad it doesn't take dynamic, perfect faith that none of us have. It just takes a little faith in a big God. So Lord, help us to know that you're always here. We can count on you. In the name of Jesus, we make our prayer and the prayer he taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We want to um, take a moment now and share a, uh, an ancient confession of faith. Uh, the Apostles' Creed started in the second century. By about the eighth century, it got into the form in which we say it on a pretty regular basis. And many Christians around the world know this statement. Now, in it are a couple of things that, um, that cause us to pause and kind of question. One of those that he descended into hell. Just to understand what that means is that in the original thought, it was another way of saying that Jesus, in fact, died. It's kind of a, it's kind of a uh, two-layer kind of understanding to this. He did, in fact, die. He went to the place of the dead. That's what hell was in the understanding of the early church. So when we say he descended into hell, but it's also another layer to it. At the moment of Jesus' death, when he cries out, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that very moment, when he was having the crushing weight of the sin of the entire world upon him, he felt separated. Because sin cannot exist 
in the presence of a holy God. And at that moment, Jesus must have felt as if, in our own language, that he was in hell. And then the other, the other part about the Apostles' Creed that trips us up sometimes is the understanding of the phrase that says, when we talk about what we believe through the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Catholic Church. And that doesn't mean that we're putting ourselves under the, the leadership of the Roman Catholic Church. That's two different things. Catholic in its original understanding, means universal. So we're saying that we believe in the church universal, the church all around the world as Christian believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we hold these things together. So with all that, uh, you can remain seated, but let's say together the words of the Apostles' Creed. You'll find them on the screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.